Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today is the full episode of our series on supply chain finance. We recently talked about working capital management and we felt that it was missing a piece, which is supply chain finance. Therefore, in the episode of today, expect to learn what is supply chain and why it needs financing, the different instruments that can help finance a supply chain, all the stakeholders involved in such program, the critical role of corporate treasury when it comes to supply chain finance, and much more. In this series, it is just Hussam and I. We learned a lot writing and recording this episode. But most importantly, we had a lot of fun. So we really hope you would enjoy the episode as well. If that is the case, why not leave us a review? Reviews are the best way to help podcasters seize the algorithm of the different platforms, then push forwards the best rated podcasts. And on top of that, well, it makes us very happy and it is completely free. So please do not hesitate. With all that being said, let's get on with the show. Absolutely. Pleasure to meet you again face-to-face, my Hussam. Just the two of us. Exactly. I was about to sing the Just the Two of Us song, but okay, never mind. Uh, so. <laughs> Let's keep it for another episode, as we say. <laughs> Beautiful voice. Uh, exactly. So, uh, I heard you wanted to talk about supply chain finance. Yes, we recently talked about working capital management and supply chain finance is quite linked to that. And for sure, Treasury has and plays a very important role in it. But I would like um, to first talk about supply chain without the finance after it. What do you think about that, Hussam? Sounds good. So what's a supply chain? So a supply chain is a network of companies and or individuals that work towards creating a product and delivering it to the end customer. So if we take the supply chain of a car, for instance, we obviously happen to need raw materials, right? Steel, plastic, rare earth, metals, and so on. Those raw materials then need to be extracted, transported, melted, transformed into car parts that are then assembled, and so on and so on. When the car is finalized into a factory, obviously, it is transported along with other cars uh, to wholesalers, retailers, and finally delivered to the end customer. This list is not exhaustive, but obviously the supply chain is composed of all the actors that make this process possible. So it sounds like a lot of logistical organization. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize just how many steps there are in um, creating anything, right? Like even simple, yes. I mean, a car is a very complex thing. Um, a phone is a very complex thing. There's hundreds of parts inside those individually. Mm-hmm. To make each of those parts, it's not just like one company uh, extracts the minerals, refines the minerals, processes the minerals, uh, makes the mold, uh, pours the molten metal into the mold uh, and then and then pops it out and then sells it to the car company it's an individual company for each of those steps one company is mining exactly another one is refining another one is making the mold for the actual part 
Another one is actually pouring the hot metal into the mold. Those are all individual companies that make up the supply chain to make that one part of a hundred which goes into a car. Yeah, exactly. It becomes very complex in the real world. It's uh, amazing how many actors can be put in just... If you look at any project within your room, how many actors and companies were required to deliver it and have it on your table, whatsoever. It's, it's crazy. But so indeed, a well-managed supply chain means delivery of goods and products to the customer in a timely and cost-effective manner, taking into account all those actors we just named. And with, of course, a respect of the regulation and ensuring that a good quality of the product is delivered, right? Okay, but what's the link here with treasury? Like, I understand you need to pay each of them. We've talked about payment terms and whatnot. Mm -hmm. and what else new are we going to learn today, Guillaume, about the relationship with treasury and supply chain? Plenty. Um, but let's, let's focus on the finance aspect of supply chain finance force. And for the sake of clarity, uh, for the people listening to us, you may have heard of supply chain finance under another name, such as supplier finance or even reverse factoring. I know it doesn't tell you what it means, so I'm getting to it. <laughs> so the primary objective of supply chain finance, and we'll dive a little bit further down this episode with the implications of treasury, but the objective of supply chain finance is to improve and help the working capital management and the cash flows of all the companies or dedicated ones, specialized ones, within the supply chain. And those are both terms that we already broke down in this podcast, right? Working capital management and cash flows, respectively episode 79 and 50. So if you would like to understand those topics in depth, go and check out those episodes. They are great. And one was, uh, was with um, Daniel Sanchez, actually, from a big FMCG company. So definitely worth checking. So if I remember right, Guillaume, supply chain, so it's cash flow mm -hmm. is... Um, no matter what your profit or loss or whatever it else is, what matter, one key aspect that especially a treasurer um, manages is the amount of available cash or liquidity of the company, right? So um, yes, you are buying something for $100 and selling it for 200 but if you need to buy the thing for 100 before you can sell it, you need 100 to pay, right? Exactly. So that's the cash flow. But then working capital management, that was like when we did a bit of accounting, right? That was yes. assets and liabilities, but also the current assets and current liabilities, which was anything that's less than 12 months. Is that right? Exactly. So short term, uh, indeed, less than 12 months. But when we talk about working capital management in treasury, it's even shorter. Like you look at a couple of months, maximum six, to really like the short term. Are we able to meet our short term debt repayment obligations within the coming months absolutely but that's it accounting wise short terms means less than 12 months so a horizon of one year absolutely so you're quite spot on Usam. and supply chain finance is just uh, the providing and financing solutions to suppliers and buyers within the supply chain and so helping all those actors with their working capital management and cash flows because as we talked about many, many, many times, as a buyer, um, you want to pay as late as possible, right? To optimize those cash flows and have a current liability as far as possible in the future. And as a seller, well, it's the other way around. You want to get paid as soon as possible. But how do you 
in a supply chain as complex as a car one, for instance, make everybody happy. Everybody wants to pay late or get paid early. And there is therefore a mismatch of expectations from both parties involved in the transactions times as many counterparty relations you have in the supply chain. Okay, so what's an example of financing those, those financing solutions that you previously mentioned uh, in those complex supply chains? Are the partners happy? Yeah, so let's start with a very simple one and that we actually touched upon very quickly on this podcast, which is factoring. So this involves a business selling its account receivables, we can call it AR, like an invoice that is issued to one of its customers uh, who is meant to pay at a later stage. This invoice is sold to a third party called a factor for the amount of the invoice minus a fraction of it, generally a percentage, that will be the fee that the factor takes. The factor is now the owner of this AR, the account receivable, and will receive the totality of the invoice amount once it matures, meaning when the customer of the business will effectively pay. If I get that right, someone that uh, has sold something, a company that sold something, and I receive an invoice that I'm going to get paid this, right? So you issue an invoice, you mean? I need you issue an invoice. Yeah, okay. indeed. So I issue the invoice. Um, that person or that company that I've sold it to, they say, hey, okay, great. We're going to pay you, you know, well, let's agree to 90 days payment terms. So we'll pay you 90 days after you issue the invoice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can then go and sell that invoice to a third part. Exactly. Money now. And then that institution that has bought the invoice from me will collect it in 90 days. I guess exactly. Take a cut, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly. Make, maybe to make it a bit more clear, uh, but that's 100% it. What you sell technically is not the invoice. You sell the promise of money to be received in 90 days, right? So you say, look, this customer is going to pay me this amount, the one written on the invoice, but I need the cash now. Or for some reasons, I would like to have the cash now. Can you make an advance of this payment that is meant to be done by a customer of mine, but you pay it instead? And then once the invoice is due, the customer will not pay me, but pay you directly. And of course, the amount that I receive now from this third-party financial institution is a little bit less than the total amount of the invoice because this person, this third party, needs to pay itself, right, for the transaction. But exactly, that's a, that's a pretty good summary. And this basically, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so the benefit to me of selling that promise or selling the invoice or, or whatever yeah. is that yeah. I get the cash now, I don't have to wait 90 days. Um, although I get less, but I get it faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and the benefit to the third party that I go to to sell the promise to or the invoice to, they make a bit of a profit, but they're okay with the cash flow art to them. Exactly. Exactly. That's the business model. So typically, if we can put it concretely, you get your cash earlier, which is what most of the suppliers try to achieve. At a little discount. So it means, okay, you really need your cash. You're willing to pay a little bit for that. 
For your customer, it's seamless because they're going to pay when the invoice is due and according to the payment terms they have contracted with you. So they do not even care, uh, so to say. And the third party, we can imagine here somebody or an institution that will make this because they are sitting on a pile of cash that they do not know really what to do of. And they're like, hey, how about I help this supplier uh, getting his money earlier and I will get money out of its interest, basically. Um, but that's pretty much it. Does it make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Awesome. What are the other financing solutions? So the second one is called reverse factoring. And as you can imagine, go ahead, give it a guess. So it's, it's factoring, but the other way around. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're such a treasurer. Very creative. <laughs> See, the naming, let's not say we are the most original indeed, but that's exactly, that's, that's what it is. Um, it's factoring, but, but reversed. So you're spot on, Musan. In this case, um, it's the, so the buyer needs to have the supplier onboarded, of course, but it's not the supplier going to the third party. It's the buyer. So, Buyer receives the invoice, also called the pay order from the suppliers. It approves it and gets it financed by the third party. So it's basically the same mechanism, but the other way around. Okay. And the buyer initiates at this time. So yeah. The buyer is which side again? It's the third, oh, which side? third party. The third party, the buyer. Who's the buyer? So the buyer, so let's say uh, you sell steel materials, right? And I transform steel materials into car parts. In that case, I'm the buyer. I am your buyer. Um, but let's say that the payment terms are, uh, I mean, I wasn't able to negotiate well with you because it's like only 30 days that I tend to like 60 or 90 days. I'm like, this is going to arrive too, too early. But in order to contract with you, you impose this to me. And I'm like, I'm really not comfortable with paying you in 30 days because my customers pay me in 60. So instead of saying, look, I cannot make the deal and not being able to work, I go to a third party, a financial institution, and I say, look, I have this, uh, had this issue uh, in my cash flow forecasting. I will have to pay my supplier before I receive the money. And right now, I really cannot afford this. But those are the terms of the contract. Can you finance the invoice I will receive? Which means the supplier is not the one getting the hit, kind of, but more the buyer in that case. So I will have to pay a little bit extra for this. But at least I'm contracted with, with my supplier. I'm getting my raw materials that I can transform in, uh, in car parts that I will sell at a better price to my clients. But this allows me a little bit of flexibility. And this is, it's not a contract negotiation tool, but it's kind of allowing me to afford a little bit of margin of negotiation, let's say. That's that. So it's just like taking a loan to be able to pay your bills on time. And now you're getting your head, but that's exactly it. Um, that's what I would like to bring down a little bit down further this episode. But that's what it is. It's a cash advance, so it's a loan. It's a kind of credit. And we're going to see it when we're going to talk about credit rating and rating agencies. But let's keep a little bit the suspense. But you're right. Yeah. That's it. Do you have any other tools for me then, Guillaume? So we've got um, the reverse factoring, which we just discussed, factoring as well. So that's both on the, um, the person that's going to get paid and the person that's going to pay. What other tools? Exactly. Is that not? So... There are still a few, um, and let's start with the letters of credits. I don't know if you remember, but we talked about this concept quite some episodes ago with Ellen Lowers when we talked about trade finance. 
And so just as a quick reminder, a letter of credit is a letter from a bank that guarantees the buyer's payment to a seller. So if the buyer fails to pay the correct amount on time, the bank will be required to cover it in full or whatever of the amount remaining that still has to be paid. And so me as a person that's going to get paid, even if I don't trust the company that I'm meant to get paid from, right? So I'm more secure. Exactly. So that's A and B. So, so far we have been talking about either getting paid earlier or paying later, but having the freedom of, uh, of movement and so on. But what about just getting paid on time? Because that's also an issue in the supply chain finance, right? When you're dealing with, I don't know, you're the car manufacturer, you, you have probably like hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers and so clients. So how are you sure that people are going to pay on time? You're probably not. And if you're dealing with a new entity, a new company at the other side of the world, and you're like, well, the negotiation terms are what they are, but then you're like, okay, I would like to make sure I'm being paid on time. So I need a letter of credits for this client, for instance. But that's exactly it. Yeah. So we've covered uh, getting paid quicker, a tool mm -hmm. to paid quicker, a tool to pay later. Kind of, yes. Gets paid quicker. And a tool to guarantee that it will happen. Exactly. That seems like all the possible scenarios, right? What other so, financing is there? There is another and last one uh, that I would like to mention, uh, which is uh, not rather new, but is getting enabled by technology more and more, which is why it's becoming trendy. But it's called dynamic discounting. And I, I find this one quite interesting. So... We all know what discounting is, right? What a discount is, um, either based on the sale period or a specific agreement and so on. This means that you can get a product at a lower price than the usual one. So this could be described as static discounting, the price of the good minus, I'm saying something 20% first. This is static. It's, it's here to remain. Dynamic discounting allows for a customer to pay at any time before the invoice matures, of course, not after. So based on how early the customer decides to pay, it gets a discount accordingly. Obviously, the faster the payment, the bigger the discount. That's really interesting. So it, it, it amazes me, the more I learn about corporate treasury, Gil, it amazes me just how much, how important companies find it to get paid earlier, just to get cash mm -hmm. flow. Like there's less just to get the money faster so their absolute tones get paid less. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, because, and they want, so more importantly, I think, but you're spot on, is to have the flexibility to do so. It's all about, and treasury is all about liquidity in the end. You want to be able to, like, manage your debt repayment on them. This is the most important. You want to avoid insolvency and so bankruptcy. But exactly, having this flexibility is the lifeblood of the treasury department. Okay. So, but it's almost like also if you're someone that has lots of liquidity, you're going to save money as well, right? As a planner, you can save more money if you just have cash available to pay for exactly. Exactly. And this can be seen as an investment in the end. I'm the customer. I have a lot of cash instead of putting it on a saving account, on the money market funds that will get me, I'm not, I don't know, I'm saying something, two, three percent. I can propose my supplier to pay them 90 days earlier, as soon as the invoice comes in, and I negotiate then 10% uh, 
And then it's a hell of an investment. That's a hell of a way to optimize my available cash. So which is why dynamic discounting is a very interesting one. And on top of that, uh, opposed to the factory, the rest factoring and so on, there is almost no third party involved in that. What do you mean all? So you don't go to a financial institution to contract a factoring service, right? But you will need a tool to do such a thing. And this tool comes at a price, obviously. And on top of that, you would require both the supplier and the buyer to be live on this tool. But I propose we keep this for a little bit later on in this episode. Okay, very clear. Any other tools you want to take me through here? Not financial solution per se, uh, but there is one last thing I would like to call out, uh, which is the supply chain finance program. And here we actually do not really talk about one financial instrument anymore, but the whole setup to optimize the supply chain involving all or parts of the financial instruments we just mentioned. So factoring, reverse factoring, letters of credit and dynamic discounting. So a supply chain finance program goes a bit more in depth uh, in the analysis, let's say, of the supply chain that just say, okay, I'm going to contract a factoring service. And it proposes solutions throughout the whole supply chain or part of it with those different financial instruments depending on where the need is for which supplier, which buyer, and so on. So a supply chain finance program had to be mentioned in this episode because it's setting up this whole like articulation of different financial solutions used. So Gim, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into the stakeholders. So the people that are involved in the supply chain finance, mm-hmm. let's say ecosystem or whatever. So I think we talked about the buyers and the suppliers yeah. um, and there's where they're the ones that need need the tool itself, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also have the banks, financial institutions, the ones in the middle providing the instruments and services to support the businesses, right? Yeah. Is there anyone else involved or is it just those three parties, the buyer, supplier, and the financial institution? Usam, I love when we go down the rabbit hole. Um, no, this is not, this is not all, all at all. Um, and even if we are simplifying it, this is really a whole ecosystem and it's rather complex. And therefore, technology is key, obviously, in the supply chain finance. Um, and for the sake of simplicity, let's call it with the acronym SCF uh, to simplify. What technology is involved in SCF? <laughs> hey, making fun of my acronyms, I see. <laughs> so, first and foremost, you need a robust system providing a clear view on invoices, obviously, and allowing documents management. This seems rather obvious, but a lot of companies are still lagging behind due to manual processes and physical paper-based documents. And having a digital platform where you can manage it all. So supporting these um, SCF programs Mm. um, and the payment of these invoices is part of this technology. I guess that's what it does, right? Because again, SCF or supply chain finance is um, the middleman, the financial institution basically like takes on the invoice or buys yes. the invoice essentially from this this other buyer, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's basically having those things pay out. What's, what's the technology doing? But it's just having a proper record, the scan of all the invoices, the reference numbers, the exact amounts, all the details on what they are paying, what the underlying is in the end, because they can only buy whatever is written on the invoice, right? So you need a clear view on that. And... This is rather, this seems rather obvious, uh, actually, but like if we talk about multi-billion dollars companies, we talk about like thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of invoice a month. And if you want to clear view on this, digitalize it, 
that's quite technology heavy and you need something to be really up to date and to manage it all and to see clearly, okay, this one has been paid, this one has been financed, this one is matured and so on and so on. So it's not just an Excel sheet. Yeah, Excel sheet can do the trick, but uh, I guess it's much, much, much harder. Um, Get the checks okay. Exactly. And last but not least, uh, you want also efficient analytics tools, right, for data-driven decision-making. When are invoices due, for instance, for which amounts, in which currency, from which counterparty, and so on, because this is all something, all data you will need to finance properly um, your, your supply chain finance program. And again, this seems rather straightforward, but we really talk about potentially millions of invoices a month, literally. Also, uh, you remember our dynamic discounting mechanism. Typically, this would involve technology on which both the buyer and the supplier are connected, obviously. And what that does it well at the moment on the market is C2FO. That will be for another episode, maybe with a, a guest from them, who knows. Uh, yeah, dynamic um, discounting was... If I remember right, if the amount is paid earlier than the agreed time, so say you're going to say you got paid in 90 days and you paid for 45, yeah. you actually can pay less and, and you get a bit of a discount because you're able to get the cash in earlier. Exactly. Right? That's it. So, you want, um, sorry, exactly. But this mechanism, let, let's break it down a bit. But that's perfect. So, in your system, you want to set specific rules, say, okay, if this invoice is paid in half the time, how much is the discount for which supplier? Uh, how can we make it smooth and so on and so on? And you need different timings, different discounts for each period, and also the availability of the cash, either from the supplier or from the clients. You want to make sure it works for both of them. You need a system to approve that the invoice can be paid earlier and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if anything I've learned about banking systems and, and treasury as a whole is that there's mm -hmm. often lots of other parties. So I'm going to ask you again, what yes. other stakeholders are involved? <laughs> yes, we still have a few indeed. Um, so an important one are the rating agency uh, that I would like to dedicate an episode to because extremely important in corporate treasury. Okay. What, what do they do? So we talked about factoring and reverse factoring, right? Where financial institutions buy accounts receivables or account payables and get paid later when the invoice linked to the account receivable AR or AP matures. The financial institution will, of course, take a fee for providing this service, right? Expressed in a percentage of the total amount of the invoice. How much is that percentage typically? And, yeah, and this is the whole point. Um, and also, why would the bank trust that the clients um, meant to pay the invoice will effectively do so in the first place, right? What is the likelihood that it will actually pay it and in full? This is where the rating agencies enter into action. They evaluate the credit's worthiness of the suppliers and the buyers within the supply chain and provide a credit rating for each of them, meaning what is the likelihood that each company pay its debt on time and in full, meaning what is the likelihood that the financial institution will actually indeed get this money back when the invoice is due and in the entirety of it. Okay, but what, what percentage are we talking here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this whole process of factoring and reverse factoring, but also letters of credit can be seen as a mini credit, right? So the financial institution is basically providing a cash advance of 30, 60 or 90 days. And this has a cost. And as we know, the more risky the investment, the more expensive. So if the credit rating 
of the entity that is meant to pay the invoice is bad, then the percentage paid will be high and vice versa. And as we saw, yeah, well, factoring can go as high as 10, 15%, but on average, we talk about 5%. But here, it really depends on the credit worthiness of the counterparty. So, I mean, we're, we're young, right, Guillaume? If I think about my credit score, it's basically a credit score, right? Exactly. That's the I, same I, for companies. I only got one really recently. So, mm. what, when I started out, started out very low, and I always had to build it up. So, do companies have the same principle? Like, how do they start if they don't have one of these ratings in the first place? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, for companies, it's a bit different than um, us individuals, let's say. Of course, history will also be part of the decision-making and of the rating, but not only. What credit rating agencies do is basically they take the financial statements of a company and they can see the financial health and they look at different financial ratios. How much debt does it have compared to the EBITDA, for instance? Uh, how much debt do they have compared to the net results or the total turnover? Are they in line with industry standards? And there is also, well, are they used to pay their invoices on time? Are they going through not normal or typical period right now? Like, are they involved in a lot of M&A transactions, uh, merger and acquisition, sorry, so that can uh, improve or reduce the credit risk and rating and so on. So. It's this whole financial statements that is used to make the credit risk assessment. All right. So you have the um, the buyer, the seller, the bank or the financial institution, the technology provider in the middle, the rating agencies. Yeah. Have anyone else worth mentioning? Yes, there is one last. So auditing firms are quite important for that endeavor. They make sure that the financial information that we just broke down provided by the different stakeholders are complete and compliant, of course, uh, in line with regulation and so on. So auditing firms allow rating agencies and financial institutions to run a reliable and trustworthy credit analysis that is then used to assess the credit worthiness of the different counterparty and then the price they will pay for such service. And there is just a one last point that I would like to touch upon. What if the company entering in such a financial solution doesn't have an official rating, right? Because it costs money, actually. A company needs to pay a credit rating agency to get a credit rating. So this can happen. And then the factor, so the provider of the factoring, as we broke down in a previous episode, will run its own credit risk assessment, if it can and if it wants to. It's not forced, obviously. Usually asking for financial statements and a whole bunch of information from the company, and it will then come up with a personalized credit rating. Typically, banks do that for individuals, but also for companies, and base its decision on its whether to grant the service and at which cost or not. Very clear. So um, how about we delve into and finally get to, Guillaume, how corporate <laughs> treasury is involved in all of this. You like to tease us. Exactly. Uh, this is corporate treasury 101. Mm -hmm. So what is the role of a corporate treasury department in a supply chain finance or an SCF. Indeed, probably the most important aspects of all those episodes. Um, but I think it's interesting to, to break down the whole thing because now it's going to be super straightforward for uh, the implication of corporate treasury. So to begin with, and as we talked about many times in this podcast, treasury departments are the custodian of cash. So the main problem to tackle in supply chain finance is how to optimize the cash flows, meaning how to make sure we have enough money to ensure the day-to-day -day business and foresee important cash needs in the upcoming future. So we wouldn't want our supply chain needs to eat up our positive cash flows, for instance, or we would like to free up some cash in order to finance our supply chain finance, or maybe in terms of 
dynamic discounting where you could want to like make kind of mini investments and get paid either a little bit later on or get paid earlier and adjust all of this depending on the states of the financial cash flows. And obviously the corporate treasury department has all this data, right? So yes. um, it's all about making sure that you have a good overview of your cash flows mm -hmm. uh, and then adjusting your supply chain financing um, or setting up your supply chain financing in a way that meets those goals or can provide discounts or benefits to the company overall, I guess, right? That's spot on. And then the corporate treasurer can make data-driven decisions on how to tackle the supply chain finance needs. And as we recently talked about with the collaboration with TIS, and I think it's Nicholas Christian who was emphasizing on that, corporate treasury has the data, but now and today, it's all about how reliable can this data be about forecasting because it's like in the future, right? So it's not 100% accurate, but how precise can we be? And how reliable are those information and therefore make optimized decisions for the supply chain finance. I mean, we've talked a, a bit about the risk element in all of this, right? Yeah. So um, banks and rating agencies sort of coming up with risk profiles and everything like that. Financial risk management is one of our um, four pillars of corporate treasury, right? The fundamentals of corporate treasury. In our ebook, which everyone should go and download at <laughs> corporatetreasury101.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shameless plug there, but no, financial risk management is a very important part. So how does that play into supply chain financing or SCF? Yeah, that's again, super spot on. And in the case of uh, SCF, Treasury is responsible, for instance, for the dealing with the credit ratings uh, and the credit agencies, for instance. It's with layers with them and banks as well, in order to make sure everything is in order with the supply chain counterparties, credit-wise, of course. And obviously, it is also responsible for managing and mitigating risks associated with currency fluctuations and interest rate changes and potentially other macroeconomic factors that could impact the company's supply chain. And all these those are terms that we already talked about and heard of in this podcast, and it all impacts the supply chain finance. And this is particularly the case when doing international business, obviously, and borrowing to finance your supply chain with working capital loans, for instance, or with dealing with counterparties that are at the other side of the world and are dealing in another currency or where macroeconomic factors can be impactful as well. This is all the responsibility of the corporate treasury departments. And um, are they also the ones sort of contracting these, um, these, these deals with the financial institutions? And like, do they actually execute the deals or is there someone else in the, in the company that does that? For Treasury is just sort of providing the data and, and the game plan. A hundred percent. No, no, they provide the game plan. They come up with a strategy for the different cash flow strategy and supply chain finance, obviously. And they also are in charge of dealing with the different financial counterparties the corporate is linked with. So Treasury will deal with the third parties in the contracting of the factoring, for instance, reverse factoring services as well, but also usage of letters of credit and is typically in charge of the dynamic discounting operations, if in place. Tell me that could save the company a lot of money, right? So it sounds like um, Indeed. a way of and really optimize the cash flow. So, exactly. So what is, is all of this process done in supply chain financing by the treasury department or are there other, because I feel like it's such a big part of it. There must be other departments or functions inside a company that these treasurers are working with. 100%. So corporate treasury is indeed a very critical department for supply chain finance. 
And obviously, Trijumi needs to be in close collaboration with the procurement department, for instance. So in the case of suppliers' relationships and contractual terms, corporate treasury, we have to bear in mind that it becomes more and more strategic for companies, but it remains a support function, right? And we need to work together with other departments and the purchasing department, which we call procurement, is one of the main ones. Okay, what happens when it comes to contracting with suppliers? We have contractual terms, payment terms. We need to align with them and in order to say, okay, when do you need cash? How? How much? And so on. And also the sales department, right? The other side of it, like we just talked about accounts payables, basically, and also about account receivables because the supply chain program can be on both ends. And it will depend, obviously, on whether there are financial needs <clears throat> regarding the account receivables and payables. You didn't mention the supply chain department. I feel like the supply chain department would be a key part of this, no? Absolutely. And as mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the idea was not to talk about supply chain management, uh, but finance, but 100% you're right, Hussam. And of course, companies concerned with those aspects will have a supply chain management department because it's such a big part of your process. We are tackling only the finance aspect, but how do you manage all of this? How do you choose your suppliers? How do you choose your buyers? How do you set up this whole program? Who do you choose where in the world and so on? So you also want clear strategies, management-wise, uh, clear processes and programs in place, which makes Treasury a very important actor of it. Very clear. So that was a really good overview of factoring, our supply chain factoring overall. But what I take away from that was that the the main factoring can happen in in multiple domains, right? There's the buyer side, so factoring. There's reverse factoring. Yeah. If you're not the buyer, you're the seller. There's the dynamic factoring as well, where you can do a lot of these benefits also to try and um, pay back earlier. Again, what I learned most from this was how much companies invest in cash flow and mm -hmm. how much they're willing to pay more to get cash quicker um, and, and whatnot. So it was a little eye-opening for me as well. And how many different fact parties are involved, right? So exactly. you've got the banks, the technology providers, the rating agencies, and, and all the other departments internally as well. So thank you very much, Kim. Thank you very much. 